Hello and welcome to the CISS podcast. This is the On the Spot series by China Forum. In this series, we return to the platform of international forums and webinars, where leading minds in academia, government, business, technology, and media deliver novel, collaborative responses to the global issues of the day. The following podcast with Sir Martin Sorrell and Professor Gong is part of a series of collaborations between the Ditchley Foundation and China Forum. Today, we are going to be talking about the services sector in China and what the opportunities and challenges are for foreign companies. I'm delighted to have with me today Sir Martin Sorrell and Professor John Gong. Sir Martin is unparalleled as a leader and expert in advertising and marketing services globally. Now he is executive chairman and founder of Esthor Capital, and for 30 years as CEO, he made WPP into the world's largest advertising and marketing company. Professor Gong is professor of economics at the University of International Business and Economics, and a China Forum expert based in Beijing. He has extensive experience working with companies in China and internationally, including issues such as patents and antitrust. Now, I'd like to start by setting the scene on why we're talking about services today, as we look at the UK-China relationship in these times of activity and disagreements between countries. China is placing a very high priority on developing its services sector, both to create jobs and because of consumer demand. And the UK, of course, is a global leader in services across finance, creative media, education, health, legal services, tourism, many, many areas. And the UK already enjoys a services surplus in its trade with China, around £3.5 billion in 2019. So a strong starting point, but also a time when business is inescapably wrapped up in questions of politics, uh, international tensions and national security. I'd like to start with you, Professor Gong, if I may. Can you talk a bit more about the role that services play in the Chinese economy and how the government is seeking to develop that? Well, China is, of course, famous for its manufacturing, but over the years, um, the service sector as a percentage of the GDP has been steadily increasing, as most you know, developed countries have experienced in the past. Today, the service sector accounts for a little bit over 50% of China's GDP, and it's, I see the trend towards a larger share of GDP will continue into the future. Now, in terms of the uh, service sector as related to trade, as you mentioned, you know, UK's trade surplus in service with China. Overall, China has a, a fairly large trade deficit in service overall, and certainly with UK as well. But the thing is that this sector has been increasing just a little bit faster, actually, than the trading goods in general. Last year, China's service trade increased by 2.8% total amount. That means exports and imports, a little bit short of $800 billion. Imports is at $508 billion, exports $287.5 billion. So there's a deficit of about $221 billion in trading services. But I think what I've been seeing is that this deficit has been steadily decreasing. In other words, you know, China's exports competitiveness in manufacturing sector is actually also percolating down into the service sector as well. 
And this is something, of course, you know, the Chinese government is very interested in pushing very hard trying to achieve. In other words, uh, you know, overall China is a great and big trading nation, and that should certainly include trade as well, trading services as well. What opportunities do you see for foreign companies to contribute to service sector development in China? And what is the international element? Because a lot of trade, a lot of services rather often quite local. Yeah, well, exports, I mean, UK's exports, foreign countries' exports to China in trade doesn't have to thoroughly happen in China. You know, we send a lot of Chinese students to UK for graduate studies, for attending colleges, right? That's a service imports from China's perspective and service exports from UK's perspective. That's the service related to education. So, you know, first of all, I'm a little bit skeptical about capturing a exact number about that sector of trading service imports to China, because it's kind of a difficult to really gauge the full extent. For example, you know, a student going to UK, goes to Leeds University, for example. I mean, we can capture the expenditures on tuition and fees, but we have no idea about you know, expenditures on food and housing. What about buying a car over there, right? So these things, we don't have a very accurate numbers. But I think it suffices to say that it's a huge, huge business. So this is you know, one area that I mentioned, education imports into China, that UK can play a very important role. But there are also other aspects of services that UK can be pretty strong, for example, financial service, right? I mean, this is one area that UK is famous for and very strongly. Um, transportation as well, and also business services, including things like legal service, consulting, uh, accounting services, auditing, you know, these type of typically white-collar related services. So I think moving forward, certainly, you know, UK has a very important role and a huge potential, in my opinion, uh, in the ever-expanding service sector market here in China, especially, I think, related to the future digital economy. I mean, there are many great things happening. The entire economy is moving digital, right, in that direction. And that means it's becoming more knowledge-based economy, more service-oriented economy. Thank you, Professor Gong. You pulled out a lot of very important areas, the ability and the demand to work with Chinese in the UK in services and also in China, and the question of technology and digital. I'd like to turn to you now, Sir Martin, and get your perspective. Well, enormous potential. I mean, if I look at it in the context of S4, which is a purely digital transformation company, basically it picks up on what Professor Gong said were the opportunities for external UK or US or whoever companies, service companies in China, there is obviously extraordinary potential in that. But if I look at the geographical spread of S4 currently, it's about 70% in North and South America, about 20% in Western Europe and 10% in Asia. And the balance we want to achieve in the future is 40-20-40. So China in particular, in the context of Asia, let me call them the new nations in Asia Pacific, like China and India and Indonesia and Vietnam, really become critically important in terms of our growth and development. In terms, if one looks at the five-year plans in China over the years, it's obviously stressed, as Professor Gong has said, the move from manufacturing to a tertiary economy to a service-based economy. And as he said, services are now well over 50% 
And for example, in Shanghai, where I'm a member of the Mayor's Committee, committee IBLAC obviously services as an incredibly important part of their transformation and the future development of a city like Shanghai. As far as the opportunity is concerned in China, it's, it's across the whole country. I mean, China is not, to my mind, one nation. It's a series of provinces. The government has always encouraged through the five-year plans and, and other means are looking at China, not just in terms of the coastal plain, Beijing or Shanghai or Guangzhou or Shenzhen, but to go into Chengdu or Chongqing, which is something that we did quite aggressively in the case of WPP. Interestingly, I think our positioning in China is transparent. And I think the big opportunity for us in China is firstly, obviously, in the digital transformation, because that's what we're in. We're in the, in the areas of first-party data, that's client data, applying that to create digital advertising content and then distributing that programmatically or through technology. That loop of data and content and programmatic is extremely powerful in terms of targeting advertising on a one-on-one basis. But in a Chinese context, the second part is really important, that is transparency. I remember going to a SASAC conference what I regard as being the sort of Harvard Business School of Shanghai, and and the leaders of the SASAC companies in their report card, uh, which President Xi and, and the administration have given them, elimination of corruption was a, an extremely important area. And unfortunately, in the advertising and media area in China, that has been a big issue over the years. So I think a transparent platform a transparent approach will be critically important. Obviously, China's the second largest economy in the world. China this year will probably be the only economy in the world virtually that grows. It may, it may be minimal growth, but one or two percent, but it will grow. And so next year, when we see, I think, a considerable recovery from the, the pandemic globally, China will be an increasing force. And that really important for us and a really important opportunity, but we have to work out the positioning. Thanks for that. And I think I was struck, and I'm sure many uh, of our viewers will be struck by the comments on transparency as one of the, the criticisms of China from some Western spheres is the issues around lack of transparency. And you're talking about the critical role that plays and that indeed businesses can bring in helping China develop further in that direction. Uh, I'll also pick up and go now to this question on the geopolitical backdrop that both you and Professor Gong have talked about the role of technology. You've talked a lot about data, and these are clearly the issues front and center in the tech war or tech tensions between the, the US and China, the questions of TikTok, uh, questions of Huawei and the UK. And uh, I want to get thoughts from both of you around how do services develop? Is there a a decoupling in services because technology is so wrapped up in all this? Or is this just part and parcel of the development of business and, and things can be done? And maybe first with you, Sir Martin, again, then I'll go to you, Professor Gong. Well, you know, I'm deeply troubled, uh, Andrew, as we touched on uh, before, uh, the, the split, the growing split between China and the US. You know, Davos, earliest this year, the ink, all the media ink was around climate change. But if you talked to the delegates privately, the real issue before COVID and before the US presidential election got into its stride, the real issue was the growing split uh, between 
China and the US. You know, it's a it's a what effectively about a third of the world economy, maybe more, forty percent of the world economy between the two of them. And globalization and global growth, obviously, and a good relationship between those two countries have been a driver of world economic growth. And we're seeing an increasing fracture. And it's clear, I've seen decks, uh, presentations from both the Democrats and the Republicans that, to put it crudely, China bashing wins, wins votes. And you're seeing that in the context of the U.S. presidential election. So I really deeply worry about it. And, you know, we're a, a British-based business. We have, we're a small business. We have a market capitalization now of approaching $3 billion. We only started two years ago, so we're rapidly expanding. And China for us, and indeed the United States, represent, you know, I would describe it as sort of the bookends. The, the bookends of the world really are the big areas of expansion, North and South America and Asia Pacific. Uh, obviously, Eastern Europe and the Middle East and Africa represent opportunities. Western Europe, obviously, is also, in terms of growth, challenged and I think will be continue to be challenged as a proportion of GDP over the years they've shrunk. So this tension, uh, growing tension, which I don't think changes whether President Trump is re-elected or whether Biden uh, becomes the president. I think you know, it is a vote winner. We may be, if it was President Biden, we get a softening of the approach. Maybe the approach will be more multilateral than unilateral and the U.S. would seek to engage Europe in particular in trying to trying to negotiate a position with China. It might be more constructive from a foreign policy point of view, but I, I doubt it. And I think the net position is that we're going to have two systems. I think it's sort of inevitable that we will get decoupling, increasing decoupling. You see that with TikTok. You see that with Huawei. Uh, you see that with the sanctions that are increasingly being imposed. And, you know, to put the other side for a minute, China, to my mind, has become increasingly strong in terms of its responses and is facing challenges and, and problems on many fronts. Uh, all of these things trouble me, uh, you know, commercially, and I worry about our ability to penetrate. I mean, going back to my time at WPP, I found... The opportunities in China were phenomenal. Uh, we had no blocks to our expansion. We had a joint company with CCTV, and there was a little bit of a wrestle as to who had effective control. But by and large, over 30 years, you know, we built the strongest business in China with about a 25, 30% share, and we really never ran to big issues. So net-net, we had a wonderful experience I think as we build S4 in China, which we will do, and we do the positioning, well, develop the correct positioning, as I mentioned before, I think, you know, we will continue to build. I think we will build with constructively, but it's going to be more difficult because of the split. Okay. Thanks for that, Martin. And Professor Gong, maybe you can give us the perspective from, from Beijing on the opportunities and the challenges of the current political context and sort of practically on the ground, innovating as China has done so well through the pandemic in the use of technology in services. Well, let me start first by saying that technology diffusion or technology transfer 
it's never a one-way street. I mean, in the past, we've seen more American technologies being transferred to China, but now we're starting to see the other way around as well. You know, you mentioned TikTok. There's a great debate about whether China should allow, the Chinese government should allow TikTok's algorithm being sold as part of that deal. Currently, TikTok is negotiating with Oracle. So, you know, this is a perfect example that technology innovations tend to benefit everyone. You know, there's a saying that science knows no national boundaries. So, you know, this idea that the technology transfer can only happen from the United States to China, which the United States government should stop that, is a dubious argument, in my opinion. And if you look at the history, it's not like this hasn't been tried before. It's not like this hasn't failed before. Now, UK is a very good example. In the 18th century, 19th century, the UK was at the beginning of you know, the early stage of the Industrial Revolution. UK was, was famous for its textile industries, right? And the UK government at the time tried very hard to prevent the technologies originating from the Lancaster area in UK, which is the center of a textile industry, to prevent it from uh, transferring or diffusing to the United States. And then it failed miserably. I mean, technology still transfer, still move across the Atlantic. And it was a booming textile industry in North Carolina and also in New England as well. You know, this is a very good example that the coupling didn't work in the past. And it not only didn't work, it also is not going to cause the expected effect on the receiving party or the other party. I think the coupling on the contrary is not only not going to have an impact on, on China, it's actually going to, in my opinion, it's going to actually propel Chinese scientists and engineers to even strive more to be more indigenous, to be more independent in that area. Of course, you know, we, we like to see more cooperation between scientists from different countries. And I also want to mention telecom. Telecom is a very good example. Telecom industry is an industry where you need cooperation, even though companies go out of the, the ballroom to compete against each other. But at a standard meetings, they work together, right? They set standards together. They test equipment together. They pass this equipment together. So, you know, this is the kind of a spirit really needs that for the benefits of not just the consumers, but also for the companies and for, you know, in general, human welfare as well. But unfortunately, you know, this is sort of being interfered, intervened by uh, the Trump administration. But at the end of the day, I still have a lot of hope uh, I still have confidence in American people. I don't believe that the Trump administration's way of doing things uh, is foreign policy, is way of doing things, not just with Chinese companies, but also with uh, European companies as well, with massive companies as well, are going to be sustained in the future. It's not even in the interest of American people, and it's not in the interest of corporate America. You know, American companies run a huge business here in China. Deutsche Bank once put out a study saying that the total American corporate America's interest, commercial interest in China, is on the order of something like four to five hundred billion dollars. That business, I don't think it's going to be gone anytime soon. So as long as American companies are still operating here in China, as long as business is not decoupling, I don't think technology decoupling can be that easy. So at the end of the day, I think American people has a great system of correcting itself, has a great system of moving things in the interest of the country. Thank you. I wanted to follow up, indeed. You touched on foreign companies in China in this time of greater disagreements and tensions, particularly between the U.S., but I think broader than that also with some European countries. 
And what is China's stance on that? How open is China still to foreign companies? How much of a rough ride will they get? Or I think there's also been a number of major investments by foreign companies recently in China. Well, I think the Chinese government is at every level. Uh, they've been working very hard trying to make the foreign companies operating in China happy, try to help them solve problems, try to make life easier for them. And I think it pays. I mean, look at the uh, foreign direct investment number. We haven't really seen a significant drop in foreign direct investment in China. At least we haven't seen at this point the massive moving out of foreign companies to relocate their supply chains in China. As a matter of fact, uh, we're still seeing a lot of investment. I think Tesla is a great example. Mm-hmm. Tesla opened up its operation before the pandemic, and their costs are selling through the roof. I mean, they, <laughs> I just came from another program. They're talking about the increasing market share of LG's batteries. And the reason why? Because Tesla is using LG's batteries. LG now holds the largest share of batteries in China purely because of Tesla. So I think we're going to see continued opening up, not just in the, uh, the traditional industries. I think you're going to mention this in a, in a few minutes, the financial sector. I think it's a it's really a litmus test here that we're going to see, if we're going to see uh, truly opening up the, the financial sector here in China. We're seeing a lot of capital moving into China right now, as I understand it. Many foreign companies, foreign uh, financial institutions are very confident and hopeful for the, uh, the prospect of the wealth management market here in China. And I really hope that this is something that can really change, you know, being part of China's commitment to WTO to open up its financial sector. Thank you for that. Um, we're coming towards the end of our time now. So I'd just like to close. Mr. Martin, and uh, you welcome, obviously, Professor Gong uh, also. Uh, it's starting really on a branding marketing side or looking at the UK-China relationship. And how do you see that in terms of what the two countries can offer one another, Sir Martin? I think the opportunity is huge, but I think the decoupling issue is going to pose us great problems after Brexit. Are we going to be able to work out a free trade agreement with China and with America at the same time? In a Brexit world... Britain, you know, I look at Britain as Singapore on steroids, if you like, or Singapore on the Thames. And I think what we have to do is to develop different trade patterns. We have to move our trade pattern away from the EU, which is what, 40, 50% of our trade pattern, to those bookends that I mentioned, North and South America and Asia Pacific, in addition to the Middle East and Africa and Eastern Europe. So I think the UK is in a a little bit of a pickle, to be quite frank. And I think it's a conundrum. How do you negotiate a free trade agreement with both when both are increasingly at each other's throats? And now maybe after the election, whether it's Trump or Biden, that that will ameliorate, we'll see. But uh, in the meantime, I think it's going to be extremely difficult for the UK because the opportunity in China for us at a micro level, but at a, for the country level, is huge, and we have to capitalize on it. And I think it's going to be very difficult to do both. We will be, we'll be in the same position as many others. We will have to choose. Professor Gong, any concluding thoughts from you? 
I'm still very hopeful that even though you know China's economy's growth rate has been steadily coming down from its double-digit growth days, but I think even against that backdrop,、uh, in the next ten years, we will still be talking about at least four to five percent, if not six percent, every year. And that ten years of time, you know, the next decade, at、uh, this growth rate is still still very good. I mean, you don't see a lot of places in the world that you see this kind of a growth for a market as large as this.、Uh, as I said, China being the largest consumer market in the world. And given that, I think it's a great opportunity for foreign companies to continue to participate in this economic boom, continue to operate here in China, and using this as a base for、uh, its supply chains to the rest of the world, as well as selling to the Chinese consumer. I'm saying this to foreign companies, as including American companies, the great American companies as well, and they've done a great job in the in the last twenty thirty years, and、I、hope that we still continue to stay here and, and thrive together with the Chinese market. Well, thank you. Many thanks to both of you for your comments. I think we had a very rich, wide ranging discussion on services, trade, technology. Technology, data, the U.S. election, the U.S.-China trade tensions, tech war, etc., and we're in this very challenging time. The opportunities remain massive, and a lot of successes. The practicalities of getting that done remain, I think, equally challenging against an increasingly uncertain backdrop. And we have to hope for a, a positive way through on all sides.